Okay, we just have a single verse tonight. Um, we're going through Hebrews chapter 11. We live in a time where there is such a need for real role models. People that we can follow who are godly, who have integrity. And um, I can think of, you know, at least no time that I can remember that there's been a greater need for people to, as Ezekiel said, you know, God said, I look for someone to stand in the gap on behalf of the land. And in Hebrews 11, we have a list of some of those wonderful people that we'll get a chance to meet firsthand one day when we get to glory. But tonight, we're going to look at a single verse, and we're going to look at, entitled, The Ultimate Original Hero. Uh, None of these guys in Marvel or the DC world forget it compared to this hero. And so let's, uh, God's honor, Hebrews 11.3, ask you to stand as I read. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Let's pray. Father, tonight, as we look, Lord, at the power, Father, of this role model, this hero, this one, Lord. We worship you. I just ask for clarity. Help me not to ramble. Help me to try to, Father, to speak by your power, Lord, um, that we may hear. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. People are searching for answers. They always have been. I don't think it's a matter of what generation or what age that you're in. There are some questions that transcend the times. And I, I want to look at six of those type of questions. Uh, first question, is there really a God? People have been asking uh, since the beginning of time. Is there really a God? Secondly, where did I come from? Why am I here? Third, what determines right or wrong? Who gets to set those decisions of what is right, what is wrong? Fourth, why do I sometimes feel badly about my actions? Fifth, where do I fit in the flow of history? And then lastly, sixth, what will happen to me after I die? Um, We've been around long enough to realize that we will die. We have seen death and appear unable to escape it. So what will happen to me after I die? Well, if you look um, in today's culture, outside of the church, uh, National Geographic, Science Magazine, Animal Planet, whatever, here's the type of answers you would receive. Uh, first, is there a God? No. There's no creator. Secondly, um, Where did I come from? You're just a result of millions of years of evolution by chance. Um, Third, uh, this question about who determines right or wrong. You determine what's right or wrong for yourself. That's a personal decision. Fourth, where do, why do I sometimes feel badly about my actions? 
the bad the bad feelings you have are culturally conditioned and you just need to get over them. That's the typical answer. Fifth question, where do I fit in the flow of history? And um, the answer to that is that you are an invader of the planet. The human race is an intruder standing in the way of the planet and the works of the planet. And then finally, after you die, there is nothing else. We're going to look at a great contrast to that type of thinking tonight as we examine this verse and as we look at the greatest hero of all, God. No one can compare to God. As the scripture says, who is like God? Apart from me, there is no God. There is no Savior. There's only one God. And that is who we get our answers from. All the other questions derived from the first question, is there a God? The answer is yes, there is a God. And the other questions flow out of that. Here's one quote from um, um, relativists of today, an evolutionist. He writes, there's no reason to assume existing moral codes reflect some higher truth apprehended via divine inspiration. Morality is merely an idea that evolved in the human mind as a tool for increasing reproductive success. Whatever gets our genes into the next generation is morally right. Both men and women are biologically programmed to be unfaithful to their spouses. Lifelong monogamous devotion just isn't natural. Not a guy you want to present to your daughter for a candidate for marriage. Um, right in this type of thinking. Many don't realize that Charles Darwin, early in his studies, early in his life, did believe in God. He did not start there. As a matter of fact, he referred to him as a creator who was responsible for a limited formation of life on this planet, the original forms of life. But by 1871, he denied the very existence of God. And he, here's a quote from him. We could conceive in some warm little pond with all sorts of ammonia and phosphoric salts, light, heat, and electricity that a protein compound was chemically formed ready to undergo still more complex changes. And yet a careful analysis of what we know truly scientifically from life is that complexity does not develop from simplicity. As a matter of fact, the more complex something is, they do not be they do not evolve upward. <laughs> they devolve downward as things are falling apart, not building up. The idea of you know spontaneous life coming from a single cell that came out of nothing. There are so many variables that have to happen, that have to occur at the same time, that that would be a great miracle. Matter of fact, Edwin Erwin Lutzer said, I don't have enough faith to be an evolutionist in order to believe that all of those variables can come together in just the perfect way to produce life. It's a hopeless thought. Here's what Darwin said near the end of his life, a personal admission he made. He said, I grieve to say that I cannot honestly go as far as you do about design. I'm conscious that I am an utterly hopeless muddle. 
I cannot think that the world as we see it is a result of chance, and yet I cannot look at each separate thing as a result of design. Again, I say I am and shall ever remain in a hopeless muddle. Isn't that sad? That as he went through his days, he said the best you can hope for is a hopeless muddle, chance, chaos, (laughs) and not order. You know, the irony of it is, in that day in London, where Darwin was, God was doing some great work through preachers. Charles Spurgeon, Joseph Parker, um, D.L. Moody was having many of his evangelistic meetings. And yet it was in the midst of what appeared to be all these people filling churches that many would come to believe that there is no God and that instead, things just happened. You know, this has always baffled me. How it's greater to believe that things happen without a designer. Without one who created. Uh, you know, we think that we're smarter than God. It reminds me, I'm sure you've heard that story of the scientists that You know, they had come to the place where we don't need God. We know how to create. Matter of fact, we believe that we can create a person. And so they talked with God and said, we're ready to prove that we can create a human being. And so they reached down to grab some dirt and God said, no, get something else. I made that. I created it. The very things that we have, it still all comes from the creator himself. The ultimate hero of the story. The creator of all things. The one that we trust. Let's look at our text again. I just want to break it down in our sermon here. He says, by faith. We understand that the universe was formed at God's command. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. In other words, in this verse, we see a way out of the muddle. The very word understand comes from a word that refers to perception. It speaks of reflective intelligence. In other words, he's saying you can look at what is created and it speaks of God. It shouts of God's glory. I think of Psalm 19.1. The heavens and the earth declare the glory of God. Romans 1 verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature being clearly understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. In other words, when we just look around at everything that's life, the plants and the animals, it says God. It says creator. There there was one parable I read about. It's called the the parable of the piano mice. (laughs) That nested in the bottom of a piano. And they would hear the music of this instrument that filled their world. That all the dark spaces were filled with sound and harmony. And at first these mice were impressed by the music. They drew comfort and, and the wonder that this music was there for them to enjoy. And although invisible to them, someone above must be playing the music. 
They love to talk about what it would be like to see the great player one day. (laughs) Then one day, a daring mouse climbed up the piano and returned to tell them he discovered how the music was made. Wires were the secret. (laughs) Tightly stretched wires of graduated links that trembled and vibrated made the music. So they had to revise their old beliefs. None but the most conservative among those mice could any longer believe in an unseen player. Later, another explorer returned and carried the explanation further. Hammers were now the secret origin of the music. Great numbers of hammers dancing and leaping on the wires. Harmony was a matter of mathematics and the music was the result of mechanics. (laughs) The unseen player came to be thought of as a myth. Though the pianist continued to play. Wow, what a parable of our current day of our current culture as we look around us. Notice here in our text, he says, by faith we understand the universe was formed at God's command. The word formed means to outfit or to equip. It's like when you get ready to go on vacation and, you know, I'm so thankful for my wife because we get ready on vacation the day before. She makes out a list. And, you know, she just marks the list and feels sick. Guys, I'd be in real trouble. We'd get there. I probably wouldn't have anything. <laughs> but the word picture here of form is that there is everything that's needed to equip one to go on this journey to have exactly what is needed. And the picture here is that the earth was outfitted or equipped with everything that was needed from the very beginning. In other words, if you could go back to the beginning of creation and you know you march through Genesis and on each day the part of the earth was uh, formed and what was placed in the earth and then you come to that time where mankind was created and and let's say you were there an hour after adam was created you wouldn't look at him and say he's an hour old why because he wasn't a little baby he was a grown man and he was able to communicate and he was able to talk and he was fully grown Why? Because in God's creation, it was fully equipped. At that moment, the earth was fully formed. You'd be wrong if you concluded (laughs) that he was much older than an hour. Why? Because it wasn't growth that made him a fully grown man. It was God speaking him into existence. We're told in chapter 1, verse 11, that God created the trees. They weren't saplings. They were full-grown trees. Normally, trees take a year or two or longer in order to grow fruit, but not these trees. They were fully formed for use. as They had fruit already upon them. In Genesis 1, verse 21, We're told that there was a fully functional animal kingdom that was created, fully equipped and ready to be utilized upon the earth. An oak tree was already 30 feet high, could be used for shade or for protection. 
you know, we say the idea you cut, you cut down a tree and you can count the rings to how old it was. But we also know now that it serves as a vascular system within the tree. It wasn't a matter of how long the tree had been there. It was a matter of that God created the tree fully grown to be used for purposes. The planet was outfitted, was equipped for life at the moment of creation. It didn't evolve over many, many years. <laughs> but it was formed. How was it formed? Verse 3. At God's command. He spoke it into existence. It didn't form over many years of evolving and, and changing. But it was formed by God's very word. The omniscient, omnipotent mind of God. Who formed the molecular components of water the balance of electrical charges with the protons and the neutrons. God spoke into existence what was needed. Matter of fact, look what it tells us here in verse 3. So that what was made was not made out of what was visible. It wasn't something that was visible. And then it began to change and made something else. No, it was created by the Lord God. Out of ex nihilio, the word which means out of nothing. Matter of fact, the only materials that were already present from which any creation was made were people. Adam was made out of the dust of the earth. And I believe that was just to remind Adam, buddy, don't get too big for your britches. Because you're made from the dust of the earth and you will return to the dust of the earth. Woman was made out of man from the rib to be reminded she was a partner to be with man. And they were to go through the journey of life together. And that they needed each other. There was this uh, interdependence that I believe God was trying to teach there. In Genesis 1, verse 1, you know, it says, In the beginning, God created. As I said, we know that word, ex nihilio, speaks of out of nothing God created. But there's another part of that word, or that phrase, that is also significant. It speaks of ease. In other words, this was not a great effort for the living God. <laughs> it was easy for him. He merely spoke creation into existence. He's a hero. A great hero to follow. Matter of fact, David bragged on him in the Psalms. He said, by the word of the Lord, the heavens and the earth were made. All the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. In Psalm 33, he writes again, David writes, For he spoke and it was done. He commanded it stood fast. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And how tragic we live in a time and we live in a day where... God is not the Lord of this nation. The Lord is not the God of this nation. For many. His creative handiwork is for many politically incorrect. Much less to speak openly or to believe in. One university educator had pressed forward that if any student believed in creationism. That he should not be allowed to get a degree 
from the university of which he served. And that no one should be allowed to be a teacher there who believed in creationism. They should be dismissed. It's interesting, as you look at that original case of the ACLU lawyer Clarence Darrow in 1925, that we refer to as the Scopes trial, uh, where the argument was made that it is not enough that there be one theory taught in school, which at the time was creation theory. And the argument was, it is bigotry for public schools to teach only one theory of origins. What hypocrisy in a day where... There's only one theory that can be taught in school. I'm sure the ACLU would not argue today for school systems to teach more than one theory. Darwin summarized it well. We are in a muddle. Are we not? A mess. Three three principles uh, that we have in our outline in our notes. Just quickly as... We get through the message. If God's word was sufficient to equip the universe to sustain life, his word is sufficient to sustain your life. The God who created everything, you can trust to help you to walk in faith. He's the hero (laughs) that you can turn to for strength. I love uh, Hebrews 13, verse 8, that says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There are some things that change, but not God. He is dependable. He is steadfast. As the scripture says, he is a rock to which we can place our ultimate trust. Secondly, if God knew all the details necessary in creating you, He knows all the details necessary in redeeming you. Do y'all remember Carl Sagan? He had a popular TV show that ran on PBS and wrote many books that denied the existence of a creator. And he treated nature and the universe almost with divine attributes to be like God, the universe itself. On his television program, he would start his show and you would hear him say, the cosmos is all that is or ever was or ever will be. (laughs) Near the end of his life, Carl Sagan wrote these words. He said, our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. In our obscurity and all this vastness, there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. This is the bleakness, the despair that comes when God is not there. When God is rejected, when God is refused, when we live in rebellion without God. I love John chapter 1, the first three verses. I know you guys know at least verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? And then verse 2, he says, well, it just simply says, he was with God in the beginning. And then listen to verse 3. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. All of nature that we see around us, Jesus formed as creator of all things. 
as creator. He made everything and he is able to save us. With his great power that created, he is able to redeem us. (laughs) He is able to give us a forgiveness that we can trust. You drop down to verse 12 of John chapter 1. Uh, NIV, it says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, gave the right to become children of God. He invited us into his family. That's what he provides. Um, your view of ordinance determines your destiny. If you push God aside, you miss what ultimately matters. Whether we believe in him or we deny him, we will all one day believe in him. <laughs> Because we will all one day be in his presence. That's what the scripture says. That every one of us will have to give an account of ourselves before God. Romans fourteen twelve. One day that will occur. One day we will face that. In William Stagg's book for children. A great little book called Yellow and Pink. It says uh, there were two wooden figures. They wake up to find themselves lying on an old newspaper. In the hot sun. One figure's painted yellow, the other pink. Suddenly, yellow sits up and asks, Do you know what we're doing here? So begins a debate between the two marionettes over the existence of their, the origin of their existence. Pink surveys their well formed features and concludes, Someone must have made us. Yellow disagrees. I say we're an accident. And he outlines a hypothetical scenario of how it might have happened. A branch might have broken off a tree and fallen on a sharp rock. Splitting one end of the branch into two legs. Then the wind might have sent it tumbling down a hill until it was chipped and shaved. Perhaps a flash of lightning struck in such a way as to splinter the wood into arms and fingers. Eyes might have been formed by woodpeckers boring in the wood. With enough time, a thousand, a million, maybe two and a half million years, lots of unusual things could happen, says Yellow. Why not us? The two figures argue back and forth. In the end, the discussion is caught off by the appearance, cut off by the appearance of a man coming out of a nearby house. <laughs> he strolls over to the marionettes, picks them up, and checks their paint. Hmm, nice and dry, he comments. And tucking them under his arm, he heads back toward the house. Peering out from under the man's arm, yellow whispers in Pink's ear, Who is this guy? Which is precisely the question. <laughs> We must all answer. Yeah, good. Is there a God? Follow. Where'd I come from? And ending with what happens after I die. It's no coincidence when the Apostle Peter preached at Pentecost in that great movement of God where he preached repentance and called a surrender to the living Lord that he mentioned creation. And then he ended with repentance. When Paul preached his message in Athens, as he spoke of the unknown God, he proclaimed the world as the creation of God and announced that there would be a coming judgment from that God. Francis Schaeffer, the great apologist, um, said, if he had only an hour to spend with an unbeliever, he would spend the first 55 minutes talking about creation and the last five minutes explaining the way of salvation said if God's word was sufficient to equip the universe to sustain life, his word is sufficient to sustain your life. And then one last point. 
If God created the heavens and the earth, he is capable of creating the new heaven and a new earth. You see, whenever the New Testament referred to creation, it always referred to a past and completed event, an immediate work that didn't need billions of years to evolve and form in order to function as it does today. Jesus, in John 14, when he talked about, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Uh, The picture is not that he had on a pair of overalls and he had a lot of work to do to go and prepare that place with a hammer and a chisel and nails and all that kind of stuff. There's no scaffolding in heaven so that the work has to be done and there's this completion before it can be enjoyed. The reason we're waiting is not because... The carpenters hadn't done the job yet. You see, if an evolutionist, though, to go up to heaven and to check out the wonderful beauty of heaven, they'd come back and they'd look at those streets of gold and they'd wonder, how many years did it take to mine that gold out of the mines and go up there and build those streets? And how long would it have taken for that pearl to form? What an oyster! For all of heaven to develop. But it wasn't formed and fashioned over years of work. It was God. Who merely by his great power. Spoke all in to being. God. The great hero of all. The one who is eternal. And the one who promises us eternal life. The one that we can completely follow. The one we can trust. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us, Lord. We think we're so bright. We're not. We need you. You formed us and you have revealed to us that you want to walk with us, Lord. What a thought. That the creator who made all things out of nothing. And it was easy. Has reached out to us. That we might have life. That's everlasting. Father may we live for you. The ultimate hero. May we turn to you. And may we be aware of you O God. How grateful we are Lord. That we can be together tonight. And that through your promise. We will always be together, Lord. (laughs) And once we pass through this door called death, Father, we will truly be alive, Lord. Grateful for that. That the creator and sustainer of all has redeemed us through Christ, Lord. Um, Help us to take that message, Father, and to share it, Father. For it's not in the power of the messenger. It's the message. May your message flow forth from your people, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.